This is the Huddle.com LifeCast. We're talking to inspired and insightful people who have faced life's greatest challenges and broken through. Welcome, everyone, to the Huddle.com Livecast. I'm your host, Mark Stolo. I'm joined today by Eric Russell. Eric is a personal well-being coach, and he's also among our network of Huddle pros, which means that he's providing support to members of the Huddle community and available for one-to-one coaching and support. Eric, welcome to the Huddle Livecast. Very happy to be here, Mark. Actually thrilled to be here. We're, we're going to try to unpack something today that I think a lot of us take for granted and we're, we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and mm. for those who are new to it I'll try to butcher it and give just a basic <laughs> underlying idea of what it is but there was a, a, a famous well-known psychologist named Abraham Maslow who came up with this concept of the hierarchy of needs and and what its basic premise is is that um when you consider the the needs of human beings that they tend to flow along a pyramid from the most basic and primal needs like food and security to the more um, aspirational needs or transformative needs like self-discovery and self-awareness. And the premise of his argument is that you need to meet those baseline needs to be able to facilitate this growth into the higher needs or the more lofty needs or the more quote-unquote transformative needs so we're going to talk to eric today about what he thinks maybe is wrong in that model or what what we could be finessing in that model give us a sense eric of what what about the model do you think is not totally true to form in terms of what you experience or what you've seen out Mm -hmm. in the world or examples of people Mm -hmm. that you know have kind of broken with that mold Mm, great question, Mark. And first of all, I want to sort of apologize because if you hear background noise, I live in a city and it's trash day. So that means the trash guys are out there doing their thing. So sure. apologize right away if you hear background noise. They're, they're doing what they do and we're grateful for their service and what they do in terms of taking our trash away. Uh, let me give a little context because I think it would be important to do that. We're living in an interesting moment right now, a pandemic. We're living in a time of COVID or COVID as we like to say here in Boston. And this is a moment in which we have seen a number of things that have been stripped away. And one of the most important things that's been taken away from us is this sense of safety and security. These are two of the elements that are at the very base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And when I say that they've been taken away from us, I basically mean this, that we're wearing masks, this COVID-19 virus is potentially all around us. We've talked about asymptomatic transmission, and we know that if we get COVID, then we can experience anything from nothing to flu-like symptoms to death. So all along that spectrum of possibility there's uncertainty as to if we get sick, what's going to happen to us leads to dot, dot, dot. I'm not sure I'm even going to go out today. Yeah. 
And I have run into people here in, in Boston that literally have not been out of the house in three months. They just have not mm. been willing to take the risk. Right. So there is this removal of the sense of safety. So when we pull that out from underneath the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we basically are suggesting that you can't get to any other level. Mm-hmm. My challenge with that as a personal well-being coach is that I know, and Mark, you know, people who have not had those types of safety and security needs met. They've not had shelter. They've not had those basics met. And yet their lives are what we don't expect them to be because they are, they're good. Mm-hmm. They're doing well. And what I believe is really inherently wrong with that system is the fact that it discounts what we as humans have had and still have within us. And it's something that I refer to as the inner more. It's that other resourcing and resourcefulness that we have, that we reach into, that we access, despite our external circumstances and those, those things that would take away from us safety, security, food, shelter, all those basic types of things, and enable us to transcend those types of external circumstances and situations. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because there's almost a double-edged sword on those lower-end needs. Um, like, so for example, in a good chunk of Western culture, we we sublimate any kind of change process because we're overly indulging in those basic needs. We see material wealth and mm. material safety, like massive home as an expression of safety, and mm. that precludes us from going on a on a deeper journey, so to speak. And to your point, there's been many people historically modern and ancient who went on very profound journeys of self-transformation and and self-discovery in the actually in part as a consequence of the absence of too much comfort Uh, you know i mean obviously some obvious examples that come to mind are jesus and buddha and people Mm -hmm. have been on gandhi was you know notorious for living an extremely uh, simple, very stripped down life in a way that we would not describe right now as quote unquote being this atypical safety life, right? And the man wasn't sitting and on his you know pimped out couch with his sixty inch screen and and kind of practicing you know uh, boundless compassion as a pastime. He did it in part. He, you know, there's this almost this idea of you strip away more. You yes. create the space. Is that what you mean when you talk about that sense of like that inner resource, that deep well of capacity mm-hmm. that you tap into? Yeah, I like I like exactly where you're going with this too, because I've I've sort of I've created an acronym around this for inner more, and the the um, the the second N in inner I N N is nurture, mm. and when we're talking about nurture, we're talking about the opportunity to grow and part of what this inner more points to it points to growth it points to the opportunity for growth and what we find is that when we strip away all these other dependencies if you will then we strip away and we peel away the things that we have grown to depend on and it gives us the opportunity to become more because it signals actual growth there is a theory out there around uh, Stephen Gundry and in one of his second books. Uh, in the second book that he wrote, he talked about the human body. When you go on a fast, what happens when you fast is 
some of the extra cells or the cells that we've developed in our body that are superfluous, that are there because, you know, like we have plenty of food, et cetera, they get stripped away. Right. And what happens is the hardier cells, the ones that we really must depend on for survival, they strengthen. Right. And we know that when we are in a state of not deprivation, but we know that when we strip these things away, it provides the human body itself with the opportunity to grow. Mm. So part of what we, what we see and when we go on these types of things where we don't have, if it's through fasting or if it's just simply the fact that we don't have all these material possessions, is it provides a deeper, more fuller, more, more terrific opportunity for our, for our chance for growth. Now, I'm not suggesting that poverty is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that all suffering is wonderful and we should all experience radical suffering. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying that when these things do happen, they provide a really fertile opportunity for us to be able to grow and transform and change and change in ways that we otherwise might not have had the opportunity to. Yeah, I I, I totally feel you and hear you. I don't. I, I hope none of our listeners think we're minimizing the idea that people have be able to meet basic needs. Obviously, if you're starving and you're, you know, you have no no access to shelter, these are major societal issues that impinge on people's just fundamental health. Um, But the idea of, of essentialism, what some people call essentialism or living simplistically, it's actually a very, there seems to be a very strong push culturally Mm. for more and more people who are like, let's strip back. And to your point, I think if COVID like COVID has made me very aware of all the things I don't need. Mm. I think about the things I used to do because it was, easy to do them or they were quote unquote available to me that I'm not doing right now. And then I honestly look at my life and think, is my life any less rich? Is my mm. interior life any less rich? Mm. And it's not um, at all by any stretch of the imagination. So again, the upside of COVID as a, uh, <laughs> as a, uh, in a spirit of solidarity with other Bostonians <laughs> is, um, is get to know what matters. Get right. to get to know what resources you haven't been tapping into, because maybe you've had a lot of things in your life that have just allowed you to become more distracted. Um, right. It's a focusing agent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I and and to that point, this is also part of the inner more because it really boils down. The first end in the acronym is necessity. Mm. It gets us to focus on what is necessary. No extra. No fluff. Nothing in addition to what is absolutely of necessity. And one of the things that we've seen coming out of uh, COVID and the pandemic and the need to shelter in place has been for many people, not all, but for many, the basic reconnection to their family, Mm. to children, to partners, to what it means to be a unit, to start to, instead of looking outward like so many families do, the kids are off doing sports. The parents are busy in their work life. You come home. There's not a central meal, not that that's necessary. But essentially, if you take the, 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 the dinner meal or the lunch meal together as the opportunity to connect and be together, that has not existed because we've been too busy on our devices. We've been too busy with our own work. We've been too busy with doing other things and we have taken for granted 
the primacy of those critical connections and relationships that we have. And as a, I'll speak just as a father, um, I can just talk about one example that was really powerful for me when I was taking my youngest son back to high school uh, many, many, many years ago. And I remember looking over at him as he was asleep in the passenger seat. And I realized in a moment of clarity where it came from, I do not know, but my job as a father had, was not over yet. Mm. And it started a radical reconnection with this boy that I had not experienced heretofore because I was in the process of letting that go. So COVID and the pandemic and having people home is really allowing people to strip away in some cases the superfluous, the extra, and reprioritizing what really matters most. And that's part of what the inner more is about, is stripping away what is not necessary and getting to what is of necessity in us, that we have the ability to be resourced better. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the shift in the the narrative from what it has taken a you know obviously a lot of us are talking about what it has taken away right and and i i understand the mind's proclivity to have that conversation with itself you know right. it's it, it's a it's a gap engine it likes to see things that are missing um it's because it likes problems the mind likes problems right it, it's but i think the intentional refocusing on when this was taken away what was left was left yeah is such an important conversation because if everything that if if it if it took everything away and you're looking at it and you're thinking there's not a lot left Mm -hmm. that's an opportunity it's an opportunity Mm -hmm. to like tap into a natural resource of whether it's a sense of family connection Mm -hmm. um self-awareness uh Mm -hmm. self-comfort a feeling of resilience Mm -hmm. Uh, who am i when the noise stops when the TV's off, when something is not binging or ringing at me, uh, when there's not a demand from the outside world to go, you know, sit in traffic for three hours a day or be in the office nine to five. Mm -hmm. I think it allows us some space to ask some more fundamental questions. Um, and that can be transformative because that's the stripping back experience. Absolutely. And, and if I if I was to really be so bold as to look again at the acronym I've developed, the more part of the inner more, the M stands for meaning. Mm. And we find meaning. Um, we just talk about the stripping away, the finding of meaning and purpose. Why am I really here? What is this really all about? Um, the O stands for the, the op- not opportunity, but organizing or ordering, because we need a plan to go forward. And I have seen so many people that I've worked with in this time they sat down and they've asked themselves this question, which is, what am I going to do with my life? In other words, they're asking about how do I order the rest of my being and structure it and create a plan around that, that, that aligns with the meaning and the purpose that I want from life. Right. And then the R in that really stands for uh, resolve. And part also in dealing with the pandemic, dealing with the difficulties and dealing with the inner more, there is this resolve, the determination okay, I'm going to do this. We're going to go forward with this. And often resolve doesn't happen in the midst of chaos. It doesn't happen in the midst of disorder. And it doesn't happen in the midst of having too much because you're so distracted with all of this other stuff. So resolve happens. And then the Ian more is about engagement because we have to engage. 
We can't shrink back and step away. We have to actively go in and do something. So we have to engage it. So I really see this moment in terms of uh, COVID, the pandemic, the social distancing as really a moment of, op of opportunity and really as a moment of transformation is what we were talking about before. And this is what can happen in the absence of Maslow's hierarchy of needs being met. I'm like, right. well, wow, whoa. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's to your point, it's, you know, I, I liked, you know, Alan Watts wrote an mm. amazing book called The Wisdom of Insecurity. Mm. Um, I actually was inspired when I did my undergraduate thesis to write um, my thesis on the wisdom of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, how do we understand experiences that are insecure, uncomfortable, um, challenging, fraught with adversity, um, challenging our sense of self and the things that we typically connect to in our day-to-day -to, -day to define who we are, which are often very extraneous? Right. I am the person who works. I am the person who goes and sits in my car. And, you know, I am the person who, you know, I look at my schedule. I am that person. And then COVID's like, hmm, yep. maybe some rethinking about who you are fundamentally. Are you the things that you do? Are you the things that you associate yourself with? Or to your point, is there this inner more, this inner place in you that's untouched by all of this that you can go back to? in a spirit of resolute resilience and feel still feel connected and anchored and not set adrift in this world of everything feels unsure and I don't know where I fit anymore. And I get that that's challenging. And again, I'm not trying to minimize that there's, there's a, it's a process for people to come to terms with things that feel adverse, but I think it's an opportunity and a calling to say, what if I just looked at my world differently? Right, you right. Know, from a different perspective. I so agree with that. I use, uh, I like to talk about, and I think that one of the things I, that's really neat to see is that our inner more, it guards us, it grounds us, and it guides us. One of the examples I point to, there, there are two examples I like to look at. One is Viktor Frankl, survivor of four Nazi concentration camps. And he has a quote, which I'm going to totally butcher, but the, the genesis, the essence of the quote is that our insides can rise above our external states. And he is the author of, I think, the book Man's Search for Meaning. And my real sense is that one of the experiences, one of the growth opportunities that he drew from his experiences in concentration camps has to do with meaning, number one, for life and humans, and number two, has to deal with how we are resilient beings and how we can manage through times of extreme deprivation. The other example I draw from are that of my ancestors, those who were brought from Africa to this country. And part of the things that was really important for them to survive was, imagine, understand this, no one was coming for them. Mm. They were here. Right. And how do you then make it with everything that you have ever known, where you have been, to your point, has been stripped away. It's gone. Now what do you do? Yeah. And I think that for us as humans, um, I wonder at times if we've just become so comfortable that we have stopped being able to tap into or realize or understand that there is this inner well 
of resources and resourcefulness that we all possess on a very human level, which is why we're still around as a species today. It has nothing to do with cars and trains and planes and technology, but it has to do with the stubbornness of this species to remain here on this planet. And how do we do that? Well, in part, it's about our ability to, we talked about already, grow. But so much of it has to do with that ability to look within and then to resource ourselves in ways that enables us to still be here today. And I think, or I sense, and I feel that many of the folks I've talked to and see and work with, that this pandemic has been a perfect storm for them to kind of get back to, hey, maybe I don't need this work over here because it takes so much time away from my family. Right. discovered means so much to me how do i now find other work or other ways of supporting myself where i can keep the focus on this thing i think i mean i think one of the challenges when we use the analogy of being stripped back right i sometimes there's you know that you could describe that metaphor in a lot of different lights because i think for some people stripped back also means like a band-aid gets torn off and they see Mm -hmm. they see a boo-boo below the surface Mm -hmm. right they see pain that's the other side of the equation is in the quietness, in the stripped backness, in the things being bare, you know, and as they are, it's their wounds for some people. That, there are. That they hide or, or masquerade in their everyday lives and their lives are enough of distractions so they don't have to pay attention mm-hmm. to it. So I think there's that side of the conversation as well is... And that, and that can be challenging for people is when they when they get stripped back or that thing gets peeled off, the things they're used to, quote unquote, concealing themselves in, and they're forced to look at those uh, in that quiet space. Many of them, many people are dealing with wounds. You know, they're, wow, I, I didn't realize how tough my marriage was until I was spending eight hours at home with my partner. You know, I didn't realize how strained my relationship was with my kids until they spend most of the day running around the house. Right. You know, they start, it starts to become more evident to them that there are facets of their lives that um, need some healing. So right. it's, it's, you know, there's before the calm, there's some of that storm of, right, here's some things that I haven't been, that I've been neglecting in my life or haven't been attending to in my life. So I th- Go ahead, please. Yeah, I think that there's that. Um, I think that they, you know, to, to extend your metaphor, I think they can rely on that inner more and have that inner intelligence to be able to reconcile those issues. You know, I don't, right. they're not insurmountable. But I think for some people, that's been their experience of being stripped back has been the pain of looking at things in their state and saying, when I took, when you took away all these things from me, what, what was left of me? Right. And I think that that is a great point. And let's let's park on that just for a second. One of the important parts about us as being human is really recognizing that we never stay in one place. Um, this body is built to grow. We call it aging. I call it growing. From the moment we're born, we're growing and continue to grow. One of the most fascinating challenges about our modern world and modern society is the places in which we simply stop growing 
And when we see those wounds, and the, to your example, maybe I don't like spending time with my kids. Okay. Maybe I really don't like my spouse or whatever the situation is. What is my opportunity here to grow? And what is it, how is it I need to grow, heal, change, be better? This is a mindset. This is a way of thinking. This is a way of being in the world. But it shakes us out of our complacency, if you will. And it really gives us the chance to examine closely and honestly and get past, as we say in the coaching business, our places of stuckness, the places where we have. The opportunity is an area for growth that we've not yet been willing to look at because it's scary in that dark room, in that closet, underneath the bed, and we don't want to deal with that. This really potentially is the moment. And if we're wise, we really understand that we can hide, we can run, but these types of challenges are like your shadow. They're just always with you. So how do we turn and transform? How do we help and heal? How do we have an authentic, honest conversation with ourselves where we have the chance to be different, to really, I'm going to use this phrase, be the people we really want to be hmm. rather than the people who we've pretended to be or that we thought we were or that opportunity has given us a chance to think that we actually are. And is it a stripping away or is it the opening up of opportunity for us. Let's think of it as the opening up of opportunity for us. Makes sense? Makes perfect sense. Love every part of that. Um, love every part of the idea of the inner more because mm. the beauty of going inward is you start to open up to the realization that it's an endless well. Yes. It has no bottom. It does not. Yeah. Every, you know, most of the things we structure our lives around are very finite. You know, they have a very limited lifespan. And so we live in a constant state of fear of holding on to them for as long as we can. And you could analogize that to anything that you, most things you interact with in your life, the new car, the new home, the new thing, the new widget, it, it all has a very limited lifespan and particularly in the joy that it's going to bring to you. So you just cling to it or you cling to the next thing. Um, the beauty of going inward is, you can just kind of let it all go and it just goes on forever. And yeah, sometimes it means you have to move through the blackness of that, that well, the darkness of that well, but that's part of the work, so to speak. The dark night of the soul. Dark night of the soul. <laughs> Thank you so much for, um, you know, this is a great starting place for us to be talking with you and there's going to be more occasions for us to talk. I mean, Eric is, a Eric has his own deep well of insight and, beauty and um opportunity and i hope that our listeners take the opportunity to connect on huddle and join our community and get to spend more time with eric he's available for support and that one-to-one -one coaching in the huddle community you can join us at huddle.com for those that are new to huddle huddle is a place to meet amazing people who are sharing wisdom finding support and becoming the best versions of themselves this has been the huddle.com lifecast i want to thank you for tuning in and thank you for turning on to your lives. <music>